Casey, as soon as we have room in the budget, we're going to get you a new computer. Oh my gosh, no. I would not expect you guys to get me a new computer, but every time someone sees this computer, they're like, what version is this? It's so thick. It's so heavy. And it's usually Lauren or Danny, who I love so much, guys. But I'm like, you guys probably weren't even born when this computer came out because it is such an old version of the Mac. But, you know, we got to work with what we got. We do. Lindsay used to have a really old computer, too, before her boyfriend was, like, forcing her to take his computer. All I saw was little circles, little rainbow circle. You have the pinwheel of death. The pinwheel of death. That's literally what it is. Well, we've got everybody functioning here. We're recording. We're so excited to share this podcast with you guys. It is so incredible. There are so many gems. Nicole, who we spoke with today, just shared so much of her story. She has led a 250-person team across nine restaurants that she owns, and she is leading the Philadelphia restaurant scene. And I'm so incredibly impressed and proud of so much that she's accomplished, how she's navigated her team and the community and supported the community throughout the pandemic. It's absolutely incredible and so inspiring. You're going to learn so much from her story and all of the tips that she shares. It was seriously incredible. I mean, she is the definition of a girl boss and just a truly woman in business, amazing leader. So I think everyone will find this so inspiring. I know I was so inspired after listening to her. I think especially in the restaurant industry right now, they're dealing with something completely in completely new territory. And her approach, I feel like is really inspiring. And Sorry, guys. Rowan, he's he's ready. He's ready to hear the episode. Rowan is touched by the mission, too. He is. (laughs) But I think that she's done an awesome job of navigating this situation and and helping out the community and figuring out the way that she can take action. So I'm excited for everyone to hear this episode. And let's get into it. Welcome, everyone, to the Flourish We Grow Together podcast. This is Laura DeFrancesco, founder and CEO of Flourish Coworking Space and Dean Street Law. Flourish is a lush, sustainable, and inspiring space to co-work and host events in Westchester, PA, and now brought to you virtually with the We Grow Together podcast. And more importantly than ever, it is a community of entrepreneurs and women and men in business, and we're so excited to learn from each other and grow together. That's the tenant of everything that's so important to us. I am here with my co-hosts, Lindsay and Casey, and I'll let them introduce themselves. Hello, everyone. It's Lindsay, the co-founder of Flourish. And I am Casey, the community manager of Flourish. And today we are so, so excited to dive into a conversation with Nicole Marquis, who is an entrepreneur who I have looked up to and respected for so long. She is a boss restaurateur with vegan restaurants, plant-based restaurants in Philadelphia and DC, but I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. 
Absolutely. We're so excited to have you. I can't wait to hear more about your story. Yeah. So um, my name is Nicole Marquis. I'm the founder of Hip City Veg, Charlie Was a Sinner, and Bar Bonbon. And I operate and own nine restaurants here in Philadelphia and in DC and also in the surrounding Philadelphia suburbs. So I'm just excited to talk to you guys and to you know have a good conversation. Yeah, absolutely. We are so impressed by your entrepreneurism and your activism right now. I think a lot of companies, especially small businesses, are struggling to figure out what to do right now amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. And you've been truly at the forefront of so much of it. So I'd love to take us back a few months and ask, when did you start hearing about the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I guess I started to hear about the pandemic the first week of March. I mean, my mother had warned me against it in February um, and was, you know, really telling me, hey, don't travel as much, careful. Uh, this is going around, but as we all know, it was uh, severely downplayed by our administration. And not on, not until the second week of March was it acknowledged as a serious issue that posed a great threat to our country and the world. So unfortunately, we really were late to respond to that, and that's affected all of us greatly. And when you originally heard about it in more of a business sense, that it could potentially impact our businesses, not just health and travel, what did that time period look like for you? And you know, who were your advisors during that time, if you had any? Yeah, you know, I say the bomb hit really on March 16th when our uh, mayor in Philadelphia declared a shutdown for dining rooms of all restaurants and businesses in the city. So that was a devastating blow. You know, a couple months ago, investors and celebrities were lining up at our door. We were poised for a national rollout planning for hundreds of restaurants across the country over the next several years. Yeah. So this was going you know, in our mind was going to be the next Shake Shack. And I still believe it will be the plant-based better version. Uh, But now we are faced with a stark new reality and wondering how long we have to put that plan on hold. Uh, So, you know, a lot of this is really living in a new reality where we have to reinvent ourselves. We have to remain flexible, agile, and constantly innovate on a daily basis, we've had to put processes and, and, and uh, strategies in place that we never thought we would have to do or really address. And, uh, you know, thankfully, sales are growing steadily, but still nothing close to what it was before the pandemic hit. When this all first hit and we had to close, we plummeted to 15 to 20% of our revenue. And um, really sort of had to face how long we would be able to sustain that. Mm -hmm. We know that restaurants already operate on very 
uh, thin margins. Notoriously, we have high revenues with huge expenses. So we're already working with these thin margins that would not be able to sustain us more than a couple of weeks. And so in reaction to that, I started Save Philly Restaurants Coalition, organized this effort unprecedented coalition made up of over 65 restaurateurs, almost 200 restaurants representing hundreds of millions of dollars of annual revenue in the city. And we did that within a week and quickly sent out a letter to all of our state, local, federal elected officials demanding relief. I love it. And I saw you put that together in the blink of an eye. You said it was a week, but it felt like a day when I saw you roll that out. And it looked so professional. And I'm so impressed how quickly you were able to mobilize the Philadelphia restaurant industry, which historically has been a very independently organized and owned industry. What did it take to pull that together so quickly? Yeah, um, that took the energy and effort every minute, seven days a week. At the, I mean, it was we were around the clock for that first week, and we still have been since then, of my uh, skeleton crew that was left after we had to lay off so many employees on March 16th. And I think what has been so beautiful, if there's one beautiful thing in this time, in this very difficult time, is uh, the bond that has grown stronger and deeper on my team and the team that's with us still. I, I really feel like I've gone to war with my staff. And, you know, when it first hit, I, I, I knew, okay, I'm leading this. So I've, I, I need to instill confidence in the team that we're going to get through it and that we will prevail and that we will bring our staff, our beloved staff back and uh, welcome them with arms wide open when this is all over. What I didn't realize would happen was that my team would reflect that confidence back to me tenfold and blow me away with their leadership. So that's how we were able to do this so quickly. Everyone on the leadership team uh, just rose to the occasion to fight to keep our, our company alive. Wow. That's incredible. I have to say you have done such a remarkable job and you can feel it from counties away. You know, you can feel it from Chester County, but I think you can feel it all around the world, the impact that you guys are having right now. And I'm so impressed how you've mobilized your team and pivoted to channel that energy into the coalition. Do you have a specific roles or set of roles that you have within your team working on the coalition to bring it to life? Yeah, my marketing director, Aviva Goldfarb, has years and years of experience in journalism and with advocacy. And so she was instrumental in helping us organize this. And then, of course, my CFO and our associate counsel was really just constantly tuned in, tapped in to what was evolving on the state and federal level um, with uh, emergency relief. And then, of course, the CARES Act. So we were an active part in 
advocating and demanding these different packages of relief. And so we knew exactly when it was going to hit and uh, when to expect it. And I think that they're a huge part of why we were able to organize so quickly. And then also all of the restaurant tours just came together like I had never seen before. I think you just mentioned that, you know, historically Philadelphia restaurants, you know, operate pretty independently. We have to have our head down, focus on our operations. Operating a restaurant is extremely difficult with so many variables at once and it's 24 seven. So, you know, we don't, always have the time to come together and sort of, you know, build a community. Um, Not that we don't want to, it's just a, a, you know, how we're operating and it's a function of that. But I think we certainly don't have the time now. We're working harder than we've ever worked in our lives, but we know that we're stronger together and we know that if we put our voices together, and these are like the most iconic restaurant tours in Philadelphia. Right. In the world too. Yes. That are coming together and saying, we agree. These are our top priorities. Look, the restaurant industry employs 15.6 million people in the country. It is just announced that up to a third of everyone on unemployment is from the restaurant industry. This is a wild number. We are, in, in the words of Senator Casey, on a call with him with State Philly Restaurants. He assured us that restaurants are the lifeblood of our cities and the country. And our employees are absolutely among the most vulnerable. You know, they don't just live paycheck to paycheck. They live tip to tip in many cases. And I think it was the experience of having to say goodbye to so many of them that I love deeply and have a strong bond with and have worked for me for years. Having to say bye to them is what propelled me forward to do Safe Philly restaurants because first and foremost, we wanted to advocate for unemployment benefits quickly for them because we knew they didn't have months to wait for checks to come in mm-hmm. or for businesses to reopen. So yeah, so there's a little bit of what we went through. Very emotional, very eye-opening time for me. It's incredible what you can do when like you have a really strong backing of your team and also you have the support of everyone in the restaurant community around you. And I think that what you're doing is incredible because you're supporting the restaurant community. But I also know that you've been doing some work with helping people who are food insecure right now, because I know that that's an impact that has gone along with um, the pandemic as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my motto is when in doubt, get into action. I always talk about that. I believe that whenever I feel like I'm stuck or if I'm dealing with adversity, my go-to is to get into the fight, right? And just put one foot in front of the other and do what you can do now right in front of you and things will start to become clear. And also it gives you a sense of confidence that you're into action. You're not just laying back and sort of, you know, writhing in in the emotions of what's going on. You're making a difference no matter if it's just a small action in your day, right? So so with that in mind and I think that's part of our culture in the company 
you know, we, we said, okay, what do we have to do? What do we have to do to survive? Because, because not surviving, that's not negotiable. We're not even going to go there. Right. So we made that clear in our mind. And the first thing was to organize the restaurant community and get in front of local, state, and federal officials. Had to do that. And we're doing that still today. Um, there are many things that, you know, this is ever evolving. So each week it's a new priority. And so much of what we've been asking for has been addressed as we've gone on and other things haven't. So that's why this continues and why it's important to keep the, the conversation going, the advocacy work going. But then we realized, I mean, this is an emergency. There are people, our neighbors are lining up for food. People don't have enough food to put on their tables for their children. That's just you know, mind blowing and saddening to us. And right before the crisis hit, we were talking with a rising star NBA player. His name is Shake Milton and he's a point guard with the 76ers. And we were talking about ways of like creating a signature shake for him and doing some fun things because he loves Hip City Veg. He's on a plant-based journey himself and he wants to promote Hip City Veg while also really getting close and tapping into his new adopted city, Philly. And once the crisis hit, we said, oh my God, we've got to, we have to pivot. Can we do this in a way that um, is charitable and helps people most in need right now? And he felt very strongly about supporting our healthcare heroes, which I totally agreed. And he was so generous and he launched us with a $5,000 donation and um, talked about it on all of his uh, social platforms. And the NBA was really helpful with this. And we started Give, Shake, and Assist, uh, where anyone can donate uh, $10 to our Venmo at Hip City Veg account. And that's still going on. And $10 goes to feeding an entire meal to a healthcare hero. And now we've shifted also to feeding the most vulnerable communities that are really in need of food, um, like different shelters. So it's been really gratifying. And I'm just so grateful that we had an opportunity to get into action like that. You know, $10 for an entire meal, including a drink, does not keep us, does not keep us making money. Um, but it does keep the lights on and it employs people, which was really important for me and Shake knew that. And, but also goes to tell a nurse, a doctor, someone working in a hospital that um, we're here for them. Absolutely. And I'm so happy. I've seen you be such an integral part of that too, which I think is really important as leaders navigating massive change in the company to set the tone for business. And like you said, the it creates a ripple effect of confidence, exuding that confidence to your team, but also to your community, and then seeing that confidence reflected back to you. Yeah, absolutely. It really is a dynamic situation right now. And I think that the strategies that you've taken have been so helpful for you, for your team, for your community. And I think that that's kind of like what everyone needs to hear right now is that we're all going to link arms and through this, like we're just going to keep pushing forward. And I love that you said 
that going down is just not even an option. We're not even going to think of it because I feel like that was kind of our mentality with Flourish too, because we just opened up in January and that wasn't really a lot of time to really get, get the wheels rolling. But for us, we were like, okay, we're not going to stop. We're just going to like turn and do something else. So like right now we're not really generating revenue, but we are starting other outlets that are a way for us to take action, a way for us to help people through this time too. Yeah. So I think that's really awesome and super inspiring. I I think that's what it's about. It, you know, my friend Seth Goldman of Beyond Meat and Honest Tea, I got on a phone call with him, I think like the first or second week of this. And I was working I may be sleeping four hours a night, working around the clock, seven days a week. My team was doing the same. And because we all believe in the company and the mission and in each other, we were really doing it for each other. And, you know, there was a point where I was just like on the floor. I I was, I knew I had done everything I possibly could to fight to keep us going. And I got on a call with Seth. And he said, you know, Nicole, I want you to remember that in the Chinese word for crisis has two characters. And the first is danger. And then the second is opportunity. So breathe deep, stay calm, and focus on what opportunity can come out of this as you, as you work to, to navigate and shield yourself from this danger, um, there will be opportunity for you. And that was really inspiring and something I kept close to my heart, um, moving through this. And, you know, I just am a big believer in doing the next right thing and more opportunity will present itself. And so within a few weeks, we were able to triple the donations that Shake started. We were continuing to build frontline feeding program, which like you know keeps our stores and remaining staff busy. Sending hundred meals a day to frontline workers, participating in various organizations. We're now uh, working with Maggie Baird, whose daughter is Billie Eilish and son Phineas. And we're, we're all working together for support and feed, which um, Hip City Veg helped launch in Philadelphia, where people can donate to support and feed. And we will then donate a full meal to shelters around our city. And, you know, and continuing to advocate for more relief programs. So I think like, it's all about staying calm, having a mindset that you will succeed and will survive. And that sort of takes you through these hard times. I think that's amazing. And you mentioned earlier too, not just having a mindset, but daily innovation. So what does innovation look like for you and your team? Where are these ideas coming from? And, you know, what are you doing in your daily routine or life that's creating opportunities for innovation? 
Well, I mean, a lot of this is survival mode. So we had to start slashing costs. We had to streamline the menu. Uh, we had to negotiate with vendors and landlords. We had to get real gritty. My friend who uh, is a Marine says, Nicole, there's a time to be pretty and there's a time to be gritty. And this is the time to be gritty. <laughs> and, you know, um, we had to apply for loans. We had to take breaks to cry. This really has been an Olympic gymnastic move for us. We hustled to apply for the PPP loan, which was crazy. It's so helpful, but it's very flawed and challenging. Mm -hmm. I'm on an interview uh, with a reporter at least once a day uh, talking about all of these challenges. Um, we're doing everything we can to at least keep our lights on and keep our managers employed until this is over. And now with the PPP loan, I say it's sort of like a game of twister. You have to put your left foot here, but your right arm there and try to figure out how to spend the money, bring back employees who can't work right now um, and all the challenges around that. Um, so, you know, these challenges force you to innovate. I think what's helpful is that our company is not too small, but not too big. So we were able to remain flexible during this time and say, okay, what do our customers need most right now? They need free delivery. They need no contact delivery. We have to um, put in place curbside delivery systems. We have to streamline what we do at Hip City Veg, which thankfully already had a takeout and delivery leg component to it. So we were able to shift that way. But Bar Bon Bon, which is a full service restaurant and bar, is now a takeout taco joint that sells groceries and prepared meals, completely different. And this week, our challenge is making sure that <clears throat> the state Senate passes the mixed drinks bill so that I can reopen Charlie Was a Sinner, which is a plant-based cocktail lounge. And so we're creating an entirely new model there. I mean, we have never done takeout at Charlie. We just, I mean, maybe in the first few months of opening and we quickly realized our tweezer food is not set up for takeout. And so Chef is there right now in the kitchen creating sandwiches and prepared meals. But I think that, um, oh, and also the mixed drink bill. If that passes, that's a game changer. We'll be able to serve cocktails to go. Every state around us has been able to do that with their liquor control board. So it's disappointing that we've had to wait this long in PA, but we're hopeful that it'll happen this week. Actually, tomorrow, I think they might vote if it doesn't get delayed. But, you know, it's just, I go back to mindset. It's all about looking for opportunities that will help, you know, because if you get stuck in the problem and you keep thinking about the problem, it doesn't help propel you forward. So I'm big on that. And the team is big on that as well. Our core value in our company is positive thinking. <laughs> so, I think that that's incredible. And I just think it's absolutely amazing everything that you have done since this has all happened. And I think a huge realization for probably the world right now is just how important our health is. And like, you know, you were saying earlier, like we don't need Shake Shacks around the world. We need Hip City Veggies because people need to start really just taking care of themselves better. And that kind of brings me, I want to know 
what your inspiration was behind starting plant-based restaurants? Yeah, great question. Wow, where do I begin? <laughs> I I became vegan when I realized that what I eat affects not only my health, but the environment and also other living things. That had a profound impact on my life that I could do this one thing every day and it would make the world a better place. It was that simple. And yet I felt like I knew some sort of secret that no one knew. (laughs) I was like, how are we not eating this way? How is not, how is everyone not eating this way? If they just knew how uh, important this diet is for heading off global, you know, climate change and the, the destruction of our land and forest and the suffering of animals. If we, if people just knew all of this, of course they would, um, eat this way. And I realized that, especially when trying to convince my parents to become vegan, that I can talk about it till I'm blue in the face. But it's that's really not what is going to change someone's mind around what they eat. Because eating is very personal. And food is connected to all sorts of emotions and traditions and family experiences. And it's hard to talk about that to be, it's almost as sensitive as religion and politics. And so I quickly realized what I need to do is I need to make this food taste good. I need to present it in a format that's familiar to people, making sure that taste is the number one thing I'm focusing on. And in an experience that just feels good, has a good vibe. And that's when I realized I wanted to create Hip City Veg. And it was really after um, everything I'd been reading came to life when my father finally tried a plant-based diet. And his life was transformed. What happened to my father was utterly remarkable. He lost, within two months of adopting a plant-based diet, he lost 25 pounds. He eliminated all four of the medications he was taking daily. He achieved normal blood pressure safely through diet and put his type 2 diabetes into remission for some time. His doctor was stunned. We were all stunned. It was like a different dad. And it was everything I'd been reading. And it just happened right there. So I knew, okay. And the way I got him to try it, by the way, was through green smoothie that we serve today at Hip City Veg, the BFG, which is really simple. It's four, five ingredients. And, you know, he's a meat and potatoes guy. And he's like, whoa, I can have all my spinach in a cup. This is amazing. (laughs) And from there, you know, I, I knew that let's just make this food taste good, make it easy to eat vegan. And I think when given the choice, even the biggest meat eaters will choose to eat this way as long as it tastes good or better. That's so funny because that's exactly how I've convinced many people in my life to adopt more plant-based meals into their routine. And so I host the soiree at Flourish every month and 
it's all plant-based food and so many people are astounded at how good the shepherd's pie is. And I make this really awesome French toast bake that is incredible. So I think it's funny how easy of a decision it becomes once people really start loving the food. And so many of the tips that I give people is when they're considering plant-based is to just start finding easy, really delicious recipes that they can start adding to their normal routine and they'll quickly make those their go-tos and thereby transitioning to a much more plant-based balanced diet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you know, and, and also to piggyback on that, you, you asked a second ago, like, why did I decide this? Why did I decide a vegan restaurant? And, you know, I, just to, to further explain, you know, what we choose to eat affects everything, you know, and plant-based foods and plant-based protein is really a breakthrough solution to the global climate crisis. And so, I just make sure that the company and the culture has a foundation of this mission. We talk about it all the time because I really do believe it is the number one thing we can do to help the environment and to end suffering of other animals. I couldn't agree more. And I want to know, once you had this inspiration and got this idea, what did that start to look like to execute and open Hip City Veg. Yeah. See if I could describe it sort of like in a nutshell. (laughs) You know, I always tell people who ask me, you know, what's the number one thing you would recommend when trying to start a business? And I would say, write it down, plan. You have to plan and you have to write it down because when you put it on paper, it becomes real. It's also reflected back to you and you can decide, wait a minute, that's not a good idea. Definitely not going to do that, and you can see it in front of you rather than letting it just circle around in your in your mind. And putting it on paper makes it real. You can work it out. Um, and so many people skip this important step of planning. When you have a plan, not everything's going to go according to plan. But my goodness, having that at least as a map of where you want to go is what sets this law of attraction in motion. And you'll find that things around you begin to comply with your goal. (laughs) You know, you have a lot of things also that get in your way and that can impede your success. But if you have a plan and you can focus on the goal, you at least know where you're going. It's you know, it's almost, I tell people, it's like, would you get in the car 99% of the time? Are you ever going to get in the car with zero idea of where you're going to go? <laughs> no, you, you wouldn't do it, right? That's such a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. Unless you were just like, I got to get out of this place, you know, and it's some dramatic 1% of the time kind of thing. You just want to take a drive, but usually you have a place you're going to. And, and that's what's so important about writing a business plan because it really forces you to think about all of the opportunities, but also of all of the threats that are going to come to you when operating a business. Now, when I opened Hip City Veg, what happened was beyond my wildest dreams. Although at the same time, oddly, I had envisioned 
exactly that. You know, it's kind of interesting. I had envisioned hundreds of people lining up for veggie burgers. I knew that it would work. But when it actually happened, I wasn't fully prepared for it. Who can be? I mean, I, I started with six employees. And within two weeks, I had to go to 23, wow. which is an HR nightmare, by the way. Mm-hmm. But if I hadn't prepared, I probably would have floundered and not have been able to rise to the occasion of serving such a strong demand. So yeah, so that is what I tell people. <laughs> I hope I answered the question. I would say write a business plan, let people look at it that you trust, and get your thoughts on paper and start visualizing your dream. For me, it was really just like, okay, this is where I want to go. Now, how long is it going to take me to get there? And I just work backwards. That's amazing. And when you mentioned that it jumped from a team of six to a team of 23, and then it's continued to grow tremendously, what did the growth of the team look like? And what were the roles that you started to hire more quickly first? Well, you know, when I first opened, it was really, I had a chef, a dishwasher, I think a prep cook and a cashier, and then myself. And of course, that is not enough to operate seven days a week anyway. So I realized, whoa, I got to fill the schedule right away. And I need double of every position. And so That was really just filling in the support staff, front of house and back of house. Also, I think it was, took me about a year to bring in a manager. And when I did, you know, she looked at my schedule and she was like, um, I think you want to take two days off a week and not work seven days a week. And I was like, what? No, I can't do that. She's like, yeah. And I think like chef should also take two days off a week. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, so the first year for me was just a grind. I I slept on the basement floor, you know, trying to make it happen because it was um, nonstop volume, which was a great problem to have. I am not complaining. And I feel so grateful and blessed to have had that problem. But then from there, after we got the hang of things and that manager who I'm who I'm referring to is Michelle, who is now um, my VP of operations, actually. And so we've been working together seven years. She's also the godmother of Lucas, my little baby. So a very close group. And um, yeah, she's helped me tremendously organize the operations of everything. And we went from, I guess, so that was 23 employees. And now we have over 250 close to 300. Wow. That's been tremendous growth in such a short period of time. You started in 2012, correct? Yes. Wow. That's incredible. And what did the growth of your corporate team look like as your operations team continued to expand? You mentioned your VP. What other team members did you start bringing on board as you grew? So Michelle came on as a manager. I was going to actually, I had an opportunity after I opened Hip City Veg to open Charlie Was a Sinner. And I thought she would be great to open that restaurant. Um, And I quickly realized I want her to work with me at the corporate office that I was 
forming at the time and to hire a manager for Charlie. And that's when she became my director of operations. Um, we expanded the support staff. So um, I hired an assistant. We hired a, of course, uh, oh, a full-time bookkeeper. We didn't hire HR until several years into it. And that was a blessing hiring Danielle, who's with us right now. She's been with us for a few years. And now we have a corporate team. I mean, it was like three, four, five of us. Now, a couple years later, we're, we were right before the crisis hit, like 12 of us on the corporate level. Wow, that's incredible. And that's so amazing to watch like your team grow. And then it also just means that like your mission is growing and you can serve more people. That's right. That's exactly right. I would love to know what like a typical day in your life looks like, especially when you're leading and managing a team that's so large and an operation that expands over so many different locations and even different companies. Yeah. A day now or a day like back in January? (laughs) Let's do like a day back in January because I'm sure it's a lot different now. (laughs) Yeah, I think. Yeah, so a typical day for me before the crisis hit, and even now, is just very disciplined and back to back to back. I have an incredible amount of support in order for me to do that. So we, and stop me if I'm going sort of on tangents, but in the corporate office, we had Uh, we brought in an executive leadership coach who taught us, Jim Ravello, who's really great. I would recommend speaking with him uh, for anyone who's interested in leadership coach. Jim Ravello helped us understand block scheduling. And so we really commit to weekly block schedules for everyone on the corporate team. And then I have like every Friday, bring it in meetings with the entire team where we plan out together the next two weeks. And that's because we're a very collaborative group. We require each other to move various projects along. And a lot of, you know, collaboration goes into, you know, moving something along in operations or legal or finance. And so that's where we get to schedule out meetings that are needed. We all, really helps me plan my next two weeks as well because my schedule books up very quickly. And we use part of that meeting to talk about our wins of the week because so many of us focus on what we have to do and what we haven't done. And I always want everyone to take some time to focus on how much we've succeeded that week. And it's amazing. Every time I go through the weekly wins, we do a drum roll and I'll, you know, pick someone who had like a really great achievement that week. And it's significant. Like everyone on the team makes big moves for the company every week. So that's really fun. And then a lot of cleanup. I think that we all have a huge list of nagging unfinished things that just need to be crossed off our list, either delegated or just dumped off our list or given to someone else. So that's a big part of it. And so organization is huge for me and my day revolves around that. And my support team is big. My executive assistant is with me all day long and she really works to, to schedule 
and maintain my schedule and coordinate with the rest of the team and help me with emails and help draft emails. Um, and I'll dictate emails while I'm doing two other things and she'll draft that for me. And so at the end of the day, I'll have 40 emails that I've dictated that were drafted. And so when I'm in bed at 10 o'clock at night, I can read through them and send them out. But, and stop me if I'm going on and on, but my day really starts off with waking up with Lucas and getting him out of the crib and really spending that morning snuggle time with, you know, either in his room for a little bit and then breakfast. I have to have coffee um, right away and getting him ready for the day. You know, when he was really little, I'm a single mom, so it's a lot of juggling and just figuring things out to make it work. Like I would rem remember if he woke up like earlier than he usually does. And I was just about to get into the shower. Like he's then like in the shower with me. You know I mean? I'm like, mom, got a shower. You're coming in because we got to get this done. You know, so you're finding ways to like juggle parenthood, motherhood, and like just the whole morning routine, getting out the door. I have an incredible nanny who, you know, comes in the morning and really helps me all throughout the day with Lucas. And I go into the office by 9 a.m. From there, it's back-to-back -back meetings, scheduled, and really making some moves all day long. So yeah, so that's my day. That was a gold mine. Oh my goodness. I couldn't interrupt because I just wanted you to keep going. That was brilliant. I love to hear that you time block. Is that in like 90 minute increments or is that saying Monday is for this role, Tuesday is that for this role and so on? Yeah, it's so funny. This is like one of my favorite topics I could talk about like just organization. Oh, I love that. For a long time. So that's why I'm like, am I going on too long? We love um, this. Yeah. I, and I think it's helpful for someone who's just starting out to go like, how do I do it? And you just, you kind of read and, and learn from others and then also make it your own. Cause maybe not every company needs to have a bring it in session once a week. Maybe that's just my company because we're very like operations depends on marketing and marketing depends on finance, you know, so, you know, every company is unique, but with block scheduling, what it does, it, it forces you to prepare and plan in advance. If you're waking up in the morning and you don't know ex what your day is the night before, you're off to a bad start. You're not going to be as productive. I can tell you that. Knowing on Sunday night what your whole week looks like and then refreshing on Monday night what Tuesday looks like and then on Friday planning for the next week is essential for any entrepreneur, especially when leading the team. And you're also teaching your team how you expect them to plan ahead. Because if we're always working in like crisis mode, we're never going to do the important things. So yeah, block scheduling. Um, I mean, there are many different forms of it, but Jim Ravello's um, style is to block schedule like Monday and Friday differently than Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And it's just helpful to create what he calls big rocks 
Like these are the big rocks that you're going to move. Cause I know so many of us feel like we're doing a lot, but maybe we haven't really done a lot. Like, you know, that weird feeling where you're like, I did so much, but I don't really know what I did. Right. A thousand percent. That's, you know, a day that I felt last week and it's frustrating because I had back-to-back calls, but of course none of them were attending to my rocks. So it felt like even though I had such a long day that I hadn't accomplished much. Absolutely. And that's why I leave all those to-dos at the end. I leave that on Friday. I have a block in my schedule for to-dos because if I'm always distracting my attention with constant interruptions of all the things I have to do, I'm never focusing on the important things that I have to, as a leader and a CEO, move forward. And that, I have to say, is a learned skill that did not come naturally to me. I'm, I love checking off my to-do list, right? It's my favorite thing to do is to cross items off my paper. But it's not the work of a CEO. The CEO needs to make broad strokes that have large impacts impact on the company so that you can drive the mission forward, drive the company forward, drive revenue forward and and be productive. I second that. <laughs> it's a tough thing for you to transition to as an entrepreneur, but I think something that is better to learn sooner rather than later. Oh yeah, 100%. And you know a lot of this is trial and error, but I've also done a lot of reading on other great leaders and CEOs and how they've done it. I think that's important to really read a lot to find out what best practices are. What are your favorite tools or books or podcasts that you'd recommend? You know, I really don't have time to, unfortunately, to listen to podcasts regularly. Although you know, like the times that I get to like maybe take a drive or go out to see my parents or something, I'm in the car, I'll listen to like Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. <laughs> I love those. Girl. And, you know, things really more in the spiritual realm I like to listen to. Books that, you know, I read 10 years ago that I still practice today and I, and I recommend people read are The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. You know, I practice the law of attraction. So I watch and I read a lot about that. I think if I'm ever going, you know, really like on YouTube or something, I'm listening to Abraham Hicks, Law of Attraction, or something related to that, which is really the study of uh, thoughts becoming things and how you can create your own reality based on the focus of your mind. Um, so that, that's been helpful. And then, you know, I really like to be inspired by thought leaders. I just recently listened to, um, not recently, maybe a couple months ago, re- listened to Pat Brown in a Rich Roll podcast. Um, I think that's the name, Rich Roll. Yes. Yeah, Rich Roll. I love him. He's a great plant-based endurance athlete. Yes. And he had Pat Brown, uh, founder of Impossible Foods. On. And it was like a two hour podcast. I was driving a couple months ago to DC and I had like three hours to kind of take that time to, um, you know, turn off all the conference calls and really just be inspired, which is important to do as well. And I, I want to make more time to do that. And that was really inspirational hearing what, you know, another person's mission to 
eradicate animal agriculture by 2035. Uh, that's a tremendous goal and admirable one. So that kind of stuff inspires me. And, and honestly, I think my challenge right now is making sure that I being just ruthless about carving out time to think and to explore. I do not do that enough. I, especially now, which is all about crisis management, I am thinking how much I'm craving and how much my mind is craving that creative mode where I'm just, you know, absorbing information and feeling inspired so that I can come back fresh and lead the company. Mm-hmm. It's difficult when you're in crisis mode to carve out those hours. That's typically when I had mentioned to you that the first hours two in my day is typically internal is that's the time that I've been trying to really carve out, particularly now, to think a lot because that can be your most valuable asset is your time to think. Although I have to say your ability to think in crisis mode without that time is just incredible. I can't even imagine how you're going to dominate when you carve out a little bit more time for thinking time. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah, this has been, you know, such a difficult trying challenge for for all of us. Um, so that does mean a lot. I'm really proud of the team. You know, I I can't believe that they've been able to pivot so quickly. So yeah, that's one thing of all of this I can look back at and say, you know, we really are doing the very best we can, and that's sort of all you can ask for. Mm-hmm. And. I so echo that in our own team as well. We've pivoted. Our entire roles have changed. I mean, Casey was the community manager and her role has entirely changed to be so much more growth oriented and brand oriented and getting our name out there and visibility out there, which has been very important to us in this time. So it's incredible how everybody seems to rally and you guys have done an incredible job as well, staying visible throughout this period because it's so important as a business is acting in crisis mode to preserve what they can and to make sure that they're doing the best for their team. But to take it a step further and really share what you're doing with the world, your philanthropy, what your team is doing, the successes that you've had, getting out there on news outlets and doing interviews every day, that's really taking it to the next level to not just continue to continue to maintain, but I feel like you guys are continuing to grow specifically with respect to brand awareness tremendously. And do you have any tips for businesses who are in crisis mode and thinking internally to enable themselves to turn outwards and make sure that they're sharing what they're doing and become more visible? Yeah, collaboration is huge, um, you know, and a sense of urgency is important in this time. And also being bold is very important. I think that what one sort of silver lining of hitting rock bottom or or being hit by a massive crisis like this is that it sort of frees you up to take bold action because you don't 
necessarily have to be polite anymore. You can really stand up for what you believe and you can lead a way forward and be courageous during this time. So I, you know, think that the whole crisis symbol danger of opportunity is so true. It's so yin yang because if you can focus on solution in the company, you will find ways to remain relevant to, but also to help. I, honestly, like in this time, if you're just helping others, people will notice. People will, not that you're doing it to be noticed. You're not, you're doing it because it's, it's needed. Um, but, you know, I would say, put your, your story out there. Send a letter to, to your local stations and say, this is what my company's doing. I think my, you know, I think that there's a really big need right now. And this might be a story you want to cover and we're struggling really hard, but it's a story of perseverance and, you know, about real human uh, connection here and struggling to survive. Do you want to check it out? You know, so you can, you have that freedom to be bold and put yourself out there. Um, and I think that's, that's an important key and collaborate with your team and, and let them lead you too. Guys, what do we do? What do we do? And they will rise to the occasion. That's incredible. I hope this podcast has inspired everybody, helped everyone. It's not an easy time, but Nicole, you are navigating it with tremendous grace and ferociousness, I have to say. I love that the takeaway above all things I think here is to be bold and don't let things stand in your way. Don't give up and commit to resilience. If you can let everybody know where they can find you, that would be wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can be found on hipcityveg.com on our um, gallery uh, page on our website. You can find the various initiatives that we are leading, Save Philly Restaurants Coalition. You can sign the petition there at savephillyrestaurants.com. And that's really helpful in getting our voices heard for the industry. And also you can donate to support and feed either on our website linked or on supportandfeed.com. That's the organization by Billie Eilish and Maggie Baird to support plant-based restaurants and uh, our communities that are most in need right now. So every dollar helps. I know this is a really hard time for everyone, but if you want to get involved, check it out. And just want to say thank you so much to our entire community for believing in us and for giving back and uh, to the community. Um, you really are making a difference. These meals are helping so many people that need it right now. So thank you. Thank you. And we'll include all that information in the show notes so that you can go and support Nicole, support the initiatives and the philanthropy as well. And especially if there's been anything in this podcast that's really helped you, resonated with you, or inspired you in any way, I encourage you to follow at Hip City Veg on Instagram, give them a DM, write a comment in their latest post, and share what you loved about the podcast, and give Nicole a tremendous amount of thanks for all that she shared with us. Thank you so much, Nicole, for joining us. We so, so appreciate it. 
Thank you guys so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. See ya. Bye, guys. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening this week. We so appreciate all of your support in listening, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. It means the world to us. If you share it on social media, tag us at Flourish Westchester. You can also tag me at Laura M. Francesco. And you can find me at Sweet Green Soul, Lindsay. And me at Casey Flu. And if you'd like to be entered into our giveaway, every single episode, we are giving away a free month at Flourish in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And even if you're located all across the country or world, you can also get benefits from access to all of our programming that we've done, the social media workshop and the money management workshop. And now you'll also receive access to our business bootcamp, which has been such a hit. So there's just a few easy steps for you to enter to win. Just make sure that you rate and review the podcast and include in there a note on what your Instagram handle is or a way for us to get in touch with you so that we can share with you that you've won. We thank you so much for all of your support. Spreading the word about the We Grow Together podcast means the world to us and it's what helps us grow because we grow together, you know? Love it. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Bye. company. I'm Laura Francesco, founder and CEO of Dean Street Law. It's a corporate law firm that helps you with everything corporate law and has tons of free resources and guides on our website that you can find everything from protecting your company from liability, forming a startup, and the different types of entities, all the way to intellectual property and social media. So if you'd like some free information on the legal aspects of your business, head over to deanstreetlaw.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at deanstreetlaw. We provide a lot of free information. And always feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys.